for the next three weeks, as a faith community, we're going to turn to the book of Ephesians. Because I believe that Ephesians invites us uh, to enter into this question. It's not a comfortable question, but how do we live as a divided people? That question is as old as the history of the world. Anyone who has ever lived on this planet has asked that question. And we are going to turn to the book of Ephesians because I believe Ephesians challenges some of the assumptions and some of the ways that we live and invites us in to a more life-giving path. Now, I don't know about you, but me, I got baggage with Ephesians. I got baggage with Ephesians because uh, I grew up in South Carolina. And uh, Ephesians was often used by others who felt like they needed to police on behalf of Jesus. Let me say it this way. Uh, I experienced as a young person people who felt like they needed to enforce Jesus on behalf for, um, against others. Ephesians was used as like a moral uh, purification code that certain people held up as the standard. It was used to build walls and fences. So I got some uh, baggage with Ephesians because Ephesians was used uh, against women in South Carolina to say, you know what, you can't have leadership roles. You can't be ordained. My parents uh, divorced when I was five. I was raised by a a single mom. Both of my parents uh, remarried when I was 10. Someone looked at me one time and they said, Matthew, when did you become such a feminist? And I was like, what does that mean? They said, people who believe that women can do anything. I was like, have you met my mom? (laughs) You couldn't convince me if I gave you 10 years that there's something that my mom couldn't do. Ephesians was used to try to tell us that women were supposed to stay in certain roles, have certain places in a relationship, and in leadership. Then I went back and learned some history. Ephesians, turns out, was used for like 20 years leading up to the Civil War by by the Confederacy to justify slavery. Yeah, so uh, for much of my adult life, I just skipped over Ephesians. Much easier. Just pretend it's not there. But like in everything in our life, we can't Just turn our back on the things that make us feel uncomfortable. Uh, Actually, the invitation to faith is to lean into those places. Like, let's lean into the discomfort because oftentimes there's something to learn there. So this is what I want to do this morning. I'm going to dig in. I promise my goal is not to go 25 minutes on this. But my goal is I want to dig into a little bit of the history and the context of Ephesians because I believe it invites us to hear these words in a different way. Then I'm going to make two points about the text. And then... We're going to sit down and be done. Cool? This is what we need to know about Ephesians. Ephesians is one of the most hotly debated books in the Bible by scholars. It's the 10th book in the New Testament. Scholars for generations, literally for a thousand years, have debated on who authored Ephesians, when it was written, and who was the intended audience. For the sake of this sermon, this is where I've shaken out on this. Um, We're going to assume that it was written somewhere between the year 80 and 90, We're going to assume it was also written not for the church in Ephesus. Early manuscripts, we only have two of them now. Early manuscripts actually uh, leave out the word Ephesus in the opening chapter. But we're going to assume that this is a uh, book written for churches in Asia. Got it? And we are going to, uh, for the sake of argument, um, we're just going to assume that Paul wrote this letter. Now, you need to know, sometimes it's like 51% of scholars believe that Paul wrote this, and like 49 say that they don't. Um, and this is why. Ephesians lacks much of the structure 
that every other Pauline letter includes. Mainly, um, here are the things that it lacks. It lacks a true blessing as introduction. It lacks um, a recounting of historical events. It lacks where Paul has been in his previous journey. It lacks other people's names. In Ephesians, we only get the name of one other person in the entire letter. And Ephesians lacks a common argument. Um, Ephesians never does it say, uh, I hear that you all are divided over whatever. Ephesians, on the other hand, then I'm going to argue is actually not a letter. I'm going to argue that mainly because scholars are arguing that. It's not a letter. Modern scholars believe that Ephesians was actually a homily. And not just a homily, but a eulogy. And some of you are like, wait a second, I have been to a funeral, a memorial service, I know what a eulogy is. A eulogy is that what that family member does. They get up to the lectern and they give a eulogy, they eulogize their father or their mother. A eulogy is a form of speech in praise of someone else. Modern scholars say that Ephesians is a eulogy of Christ And it is a sermon that follows the uh, structure of a Jewish sermon in the day. And therefore, Ephesians was meant to be read in house churches at the end of the benediction. Now pay attention to this, because I promise we're going to get to the text. Um, Ephesians also follows linguistic scholars, uh, rhetoric scholars, have gone in and they have studied the way that this is structured. And it falls into the line of Asiatic rhetoric of the time. Or Aristotle calls this oratorio. And see, I messed it up. I practiced this with Jeannie a hundred times. And I was so nervous. Oratio perpetua. I got it. Thank you for your grace and your forgiveness. Oratio perpetua is what Aristotle called this structure that we find in Ephesians. And Oratio Perpetua is a linguistic style meant to, ready for this, overwhelm the listener. It's a style of rhetoric meant to not just change their minds, says Aristotle, but by overwhelming their minds, change their hearts. So Ephesians, if we understand this as a sermon, a homily, a eulogy on the behalf of Christ that is meant to overwhelm the community that hears it, not only that it would change their minds, but it would change their hearts. How we interact with this document is a little different than the legal, moral purification code that sometimes we make it to be. So therefore, this is what I want to do. I'm going to read... Uh, the opening section of Ephesians. And I've asked Thomas not to put the scripture up on the screen today because uh, it was intended, right, in house churches to be said at the end of the benediction to overwhelm the listeners. I don't want to distract you by words. They didn't have words. Listen. Listen. Now you know all that. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Asia. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chooses us in Christ, before the foundation of the world, to be holy and blameless before him 
in love. He destined us for adoption as as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved in Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory in him, you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, You also were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance towards redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Were you overwhelmed? Were you overwhelmed? What did you hear? I don't know, Matthew. There were so many words. I I have no idea what you said. 323 words, 15 commas, only six periods. 323 words, 15 commas, only six periods. If you are sitting there going, I don't know, what am I supposed to do with this? Good. It's not a legal code. It's supposed to overwhelm you to the good news of God's grace in your life and in this world. Two points about the text that I want to make, both through the lens of our vision statement. First point in the text. We have been adopted in Christ as the sons and daughters of Christ. First point, ready? We are Christians and the church only because of what Christ has done and is doing. We are Christians and the church only because of what Christ has done and is doing in the world. We are the adopted sons and daughters of Christ. We didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't ask for it. But God claims you. Even before you know who God is or what love feels like, you have been claimed by the Christ. It's why we trust at Preston Hollow that all belong to God. Because if we have been adopted as the sons and daughters of Christ, we assume that every person that we meet, if God is going to make that claim on our life, God can claim whoever God is going to claim. And so we are going to trust that all people belong to God. Point one, done. Point number two. If, Christine, you and I assume that we are son and daughter in Christ Jesus, if God has adopted us, how we live together matters. I mean, y'all, family is complicated, right? Can I get an amen? Amen? Yeah, uh, we're trying to uh, negotiate Thanksgiving right now. Oh, right? That's another amen, just for the record. 
Family's hard. And yet, no matter how much we would like to change it, we can't change that fact. If uh, we are sons and daughters, if we belong to one another, how we live with one another matters. Even in a world that feels so divided, we have to be returned to our humanity. Isn't it interesting? Um, Ephesians could have said, uh, and you were adopted Republicans and Democrats. You were adopted rich and poor. Uh -uh. Uh, Take all the labels that we have been uh, convinced to see the world through, uh, all the lenses that say, you know what? You show up here, I know how to mount up. No, you are the sons and daughters. Uh, It is as if uh, Paul, the writer of Ephesians, is trying to return us to our humanity. It matters how we live with one another. Because... If we all belong to God, therefore we seek to live like we belong to one another. For the Spirit is also in you as it was in Christ Jesus our Lord, to quote the text. But you know this. You know this. It's why some of you, even in all of the divisiveness of this world, it's why some of you for years, for like 10 years now, Once a week, drive over to Vickery Meadow and you tutor at Literacy Achieves. You've done it for 10 years. You have taught English literally to hundreds of people. It's why some of you, every year, when we ask for confirmation sponsors, you say, yeah, 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 I'll sign up and I'll be a confirmation sponsor. I will take this young person to lunch. I will get to know them. I will send them a note. I will stand there in front of the congregation when they're like, very awkward at 13 and make these vows um, that their parents made on their behalf, you say, yes, I'm going to walk alongside of them, and you never stop doing it. It's why every year on their birthday, you still send them a birthday card. It's why every year uh, when they pass a milestone, you send them a handwritten note. You know what this means to live like you belong to one another. It's why some of you every week will drive down to MLK Learning Academy in South Dallas, right there near the corner of MLK and Malcolm X, and you have learned how to code in robotics because you said these young people, they belong to us and I belong to them, and so we are going to care for one another. It's why some of you, when you hear the death, when you hear of the death of someone that is very close to you, like one of your best friends has lost uh, their spouse or their parent, or even worse, one of their children, you hear that news. You weren't at the hospital, but that news overwhelms you. And so before you know it, you get in your car and you drive to their house because you know at some point they're going to have to make that lonely drive back to their house all alone, and they're going to have to pull into the driveway, and they're going to have to come to that house for the first time since they lost someone they love, and you don't want them to be alone. So you don't know. You get in your car, and you sit on their front porch for hours waiting for them so they're not alone. It's why some of you, as you go about your business in the world, there is like this stone in your belly that says, yeah, 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 but we have to do it the right way. We're going to value people over profit. We're going to run our business with airtight integrity. It's why some of you show up here. You put on your fancy clothes. Uh, We have a death in the congregation. And you show up and you usher for memorial services for families that you've never even met. Are you overwhelmed yet? 
Are you overwhelmed by the ways in which the Spirit of Christ is working through you in this community? Paul, the writer of Ephesians, is saying, even in divided times, you're not strangers. You're not strangers any longer. (laughs) For you've been adopted, your family in Christ Jesus our Lord. And when you see one another as family, it changes the way you live with one another. It changes the way you live in the world. Paul is trying not just to change our minds. Paul is trying to overwhelm us to the realities of this good news that it might transform our hearts. Because dearly beloved, we know when our heart and our minds are connected, that's the only place where true transformation happens. So my dear friends, as we go about our lives, our ministry in the world, May we trust that all belong to God. And therefore, may we seek to live like we belong to one another. It's the promise of God known in Christ Jesus our Lord. Will you pray with me? We believe, O God. Help our unbelief so that we might see our lives as a manifestation of your good news, of your grace and your radiance and your mercy and your love. May it be so.